Hey there, and thanks for checking out episode 85 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. My name is Greg Lindbergh. Here on this episode, our topic of discussion is tennis for the blind and visually impaired. And to help us talk about this great sport, we have a fantastic guest who has been involved in blind tennis for a number of years now and sheds some light on tennis for the blind around the world and also here in the U.S. So let's hit the tennis court now, get out the racket, take a swing, and get swinging now with episode 85. Okay, so here on this episode of Eyes Free Sports, we are chatting with Samir Mahir, who is the president of the International Blind Tennis Association. Samir, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Greg. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Super excited to dive into tennis here. Um, I think we briefly touched on it on the podcast over the last couple years, but really have not uh, dove, you know, deep into tennis. Uh, so really excited to finally talk some tennis and hit the court here. Excellent. Sounds good. Okay. So first off, Samir, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself as far as your personal and professional background? I'm currently the president of the International Blind Tennis Association. And um, so our, our first term as a committee, um, we uh, started uh, basically a few years back and uh, very honored to be able to lead uh, such a great organization. My professional background and personal background, uh, basically, uh, I grew up in Morocco uh, and then uh, got the opportunity to play tennis a little bit there. We played a lot on red clay and then uh, moved uh, to uh, to Europe for a uh, university, played tennis a little bit in France, and then uh, got the opportunity to, uh, to move uh, to the U.S. because of... Uh, very, very nice lady I met uh, in France. <laughs> Actually, she's my wife. We've been married for a long time now. So um, I think it's her fault if I'm here in the U.S. now or in, I've been traveling all over the world. Um, so um, um, I've been involved in tennis really for over 20 years. Professionally, I was uh, mainly working in technology sector at IBM and other organizations. Um, mm. But my love for tennis has been since uh, I was a teenager and uh, Worked also with uh, a few governing bodies of tennis, you know, the U.S. Tennis Association and Tennis Australia as well. So um, I had the opportunity to work very closely with some great organizations that really invest and promote and develop the sport in their countries and worldwide. Right, right. Very interesting. And I know you did mention to me that you are yourself uh, fully sighted. Um, so I'm definitely curious how you kind of learned about, you know, adaptive sports for the blind and visually impaired and then got involved. Yes. Um, um, in fact, uh, the current International Blind Tennis Association Executive Committee is comprised of sighted and visually impaired members. Um, personally, I uh, discovered blind tennis in Australia. Um, I, I lived there for about uh, 11 years or so. I just moved back to the U.S. Uh, a few months ago, just last summer. Hmm. Um, and um, um, I had the opportunity to work for an organization called Vision Australia. As you've probably heard, it's the largest charity or uh, nonprofit organization that provides services to blind and low vision uh, people in Australia. Uh, after working with the tennis I had I basically had an opportunity to work for them. And um, it turns out they had a blind sports office within the same building. Uh, so I was very curious because of my sports background. And I went in there and um, uh, just 
curious about blind sports in general. Um, I knew about adapt adaptive tennis in other areas, you know, like uh, deaf and hearing impaired wheelchair and, and so on. Sure. I never heard about blind sports. So I went in there, got a chance to meet a very interesting uh, gentleman. His name is Morris Gleason. He is the president of the blind sports uh, recreation Victoria, which is the largest blind sports organization in, in the state of Victoria in, in Australia. And basically just, he told me just, uh, you know, we need volunteers. If you're interested, why don't you come in on Friday and we'll, uh, we'll be glad to, to uh, get your help. If you, if you're interested in sport, I said, yes, tennis, I'd love to be involved in tennis. Uh, but I'm not sure about tennis. This is 2016 um, right. uh, for blind tennis. So I, I just went in there and that experience that day, I think it was a Friday. They had a program every, you know, every Friday for two hours or two and a half hours. Changed my, literally my, my perception about the sport in general. Uh, my, my thinking about adaptive sports and really my journey started there with the blind tennis. Wow. So you were, you were pretty much hooked kind of right off the bat, right? Absolutely. Again, blind and visually impaired tennis has been around for many years. Um, um, it was uh, founded by a, a Japanese uh, player, uh, Mr. Take, uh, in, you know, uh, in 1984, really. Uh, so he invented the blind tennis board. He just... Uh, you know, he lost his sight at a very early age, I think. Um, and he started his journey uh, because he wanted to play, uh, you know, uh, tennis in, in high school. Um, hmm. So he started experimenting with uh, plastic baseballs first and then with sm small kind of uh, lead bearings inside and then start, you know, really uh, going through uh, the whole uh, invention process, really. But uh, in 1988, he... He really technically is founded the sport in Japan, and uh, it's been uh, basically been you know uh, played all over the world almost now, uh, which is great. Wow, wow! But still, a fairly you know relatively new sport compared to say goalball or obviously some of the other sports that have been around you know many generations. Still relatively new, right? It it is it is in a sense, uh, uh, I would say. Uh, uh, a new sport, but uh, but I think uh, the the uh, progress that we've seen the last uh, I would say ten years or so has been uh, amazing. Uh, obviously, the COVID uh, nineteen pandemic um, impacted everybody and uh, impacted a lot uh, blind uh, visually impaired tennis all over the world. Uh, but uh, but I think there's a lot of great opportunities to. Uh, to get uh, you know the community and that uh, segment of the population involved uh, in, in in sports in general and in tennis in particular. Right, no question about that. So before we do get into how the game actually works, the rules, kind of the nitty gritty, which I'm really excited about, uh, let's just kind of start with uh, the IBTA, the International Blind Tennis Association. You want to just kind of give an overview of that organization and then specifically your role as president? Sure. Um, again, as a president, um, I'm, I'm leading a, uh, the board uh, to uh, on, from the governance side. We have uh, executive committee members who uh, have specific roles uh, ranging from the secretary to head of each discipline 
whether it's technical, uh, medical, and so on, finance, etc. But the International Blind Tennis Association basically was founded to regulate the sport of blind visually impaired tennis. Um, we we basically had a gap in our industry, in our tennis industry, a few years back, and uh, uh, you know, a few uh, few. Uh, very dedicated people got together and founded the organization. I'll give you more information about that. But but think of the IBTA as the governing international governing body of, of blind and visually impaired tennis. We work closely with different organizations and tennis federations, uh, governing bodies uh, internationally. It's a consortium of a uh, bunch of not-for-profits, uh, sports organizations and associations uh, from over, I would say, 18 countries, actually up to 20 countries now. Oh, and wow. our mission, yeah, and our mission is is straightforward. We want to advance, promote, and manage international tennis activities for blind, visually impaired players to help uh, increase participation of our sport worldwide. Gotcha. Very interesting. And is it primarily Europe or Asia or, you know, kind of the Oceania, Australia, New Zealand, where, where tennis, you know, blind tennis is more so popular would you say or uh we have actually blind tennis in latin america we have blind tennis in uh, asia pacific you know with australia with uh, singapore uh, south korea uh, europe is fairly advanced with uh, many countries uh, such as the uk uh, spain italy ireland uh, poland and others um, we are also starting, um, uh, we had a, a great news lately where we, we have the first uh, uh, U.S. Blind Tennis Association founded here in the U.S. Uh, a few months oh, wow. ago. Um, and uh, it's uh, uh, based in Pittsburgh, uh, um, led by uh, my colleague, in fact, Dana Costa, who is the president of the USBTA, and she's also on the executive committee of the International Blind Tennis Association. So we have some great people involved uh, in all over the world. Um, and and um, we hope to grow even more. Right. Yeah, that is super exciting to hear that, uh, you know, things are kind of formally getting started here in the U.S. as well. Oh, absolutely. I think it's a great uh, market for the sport. Um, the U.S. Tennis Association is also involved now, and it's a priority for or for the USTA, um, as far as having adaptive tennis on the forefront and providing opportunities to as many people as possible and basically to everyone to get involved with, in tennis. And um, I think uh, I think the US is a, is a great uh, opportunity to help uh, that, that growth of the game. Uh, I think it's gonna be one of the leaders uh, eventually in our sport. Absolutely. So let's dive into the actual sport, the, the game itself, uh, in terms of, you know, the tennis ball, uh, the racket, the court. And I'm definitely curious about kind of the all the unique adaptations of, of blind tennis. Yes. So the uh, the blind tennis is obviously adaptive tennis. So you have to adapt uh, the court to uh, and also the ball and, and, and also the rules. Right. So, so from from a um, ball perspective, um, the uh, we play actually uh, all tennis. Uh, the tennis ball is a foam ball. Uh, it's it's an audible ball. So it, it has it, it basically rattles when it bounces, and it's important as you know 
for uh, blind, low vision people to be able to hear that sound. So um, the uh, the rules uh, are adapted for each category or site, what we call site classification. The uh, classifications are basically these categories uh, in sport, uh, like similar to the Paralympics. They range from B1, B2, B3, B4. So B1 is basically, uh, you know, where a player is uh, totally blind, and then it goes up based on sight, on, on the eye condition. We uh, The courts actually are, are a smaller court. Um, they, um, you know, they're adjusted based on the... Uh, on the uh, site classification of the each each players and the rackets as well. The rackets are um, are not the, the standard rackets that we adult rackets that you can use. We use the twenty six and uh, you know and, and the twenty three and 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 twenty six inch rackets. Uh, hmm. uh, the players actually uh, like that because it gives them more control on 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 the ball, especially in the lower uh, classification so the b1 b2 they they try they like having shorter rackets because this kind of have this technique of scooping they scoop the ball so after after each bounce the bounce as well the bound number of bounces is different so uh, the, the b1 and b2 category have uh, are allowed three bounces and uh, the B3 category allowed only two bounces. So those are the, uh, in general, the, the rules and, and the adaptive rules that, that, uh, that are used in tennis. Uh, we're still looking into ways to improve uh, the rules, make it more, uh, more uh, flexible, if you will. Um, uh, with our technical committee, we're looking into ways to also address the um, what we call the kind of borderline classification based on your eyesight condition. You may be very close to one uh, or the other um, based on the, you know, the classification category. So we're looking into ways also to combine, you know, to, to grow participation where people can play doubles from different, different levels, but also different classifications to, to really make it uh, more flexible as well and, and, and promote participation. Right. Interesting. And then, as far as the court, uh, is, is there some kind of are there some kind of tactile markings on the court as well? Absolutely, yes, yes. So we use tactile lines um, for for the courts um, uh, for a simple reason, really. As you know, um, uh, for people who are blind uh, or have low vision, um, uh, to position themselves and to uh, also know where they are at any point of the court on the court. They they use sometimes their feet, their racket to touch the the lines so they can position themselves. Some of them actually use their hands to go down and touch the the, the line, mm-hmm. the corner, so they can position themselves to return serve or to serve. It's amazing actually to see um, players getting uh, used to that and 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 moving and 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 memorizing uh, their position as well. Uh, but the tactile lines were very uh, important in uh, in the, their position on the court uh, especially when they're playing points you know they have to return each side of the court so it's important to have those uh, tactile lines right right interesting i'm also curious as far as shoes do you recommend you know aside from kind of the standard tennis shoe uh, any special shoes or footwear 
No, the shoes typically are, are, are very standard tennis shoes. Um, there's no difference from regular tennis at all, right? So um, because of the, the courts that we, we're playing on or standard courts, you know, so I don't know. There's no, no, nothing specific about the shoes. As long as, long as they're, they're tennis shoes, uh, comfortable shoes, no issue there at all. Right. Gotcha. Let's talk a little more about, uh, you know, tournaments, where tournaments have been played. I know you mentioned Tokyo was kind of the, Japan, you know, in general was, was kind of the main genesis of, of blind tennis, uh, so to speak. But where exactly are tournaments held? How often are they held? What types of tournaments are out there? Uh, just a quick background, by the way. I, another sport was founded in, in Japan, but just uh, go back on the history part. The IBTA, the International Blind Tennis um, Association was actually founded in the U.S. Uh, oh wow! So yeah, so in in 2014, many uh, countries got together, and um, in McAllen, Texas, close to Mission, Texas. So if you if you heard before, but uh, it was February 2014 when the uh, they had the, the organization had their its first International Blind Tennis Congress, and uh, that's where they basically. Uh, uh, ratified the agreement and and created the the International Blind Tennis Association, and representatives were from from I think thirteen countries back then. Mm. So um, so yeah, and uh, they had uh, events in uh, McAllen, Texas, and also in Reynosa, Mexico, just across the border, where they have uh, they have like a friendly exhibition and things like that. So just uh, that's that's on the history side uh, of course japan is is the founding country they led the sport in many aspects uh, i would say especially on the event competition side uh, uh, they had many 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 tournaments uh, before everybody else in 1990 the first ever tournament for the visually impaired was held obviously in japan and uh, the founder of of, of tennis of blind uh, tennis um, mr miyoshi take God bless his soul because he passed away uh, mm-hmm. in 2011. Um, he he was actually a ch- national champion for I think 16 times uh, over 21 year span. And his long term dream and, and legacy goal basically was to continue growing, become a Paralympic sport. Right. So that's that's one important thing that we're still thinking about as the organization, planning for it, and hopefully in. in Next few years, we can achieve that goal. So, on tournament side, countries are organizing national tournaments. The um, International Blind Tennis Association um, currently has been invited to the first tennis event at the IPSA World Games. Uh, IPSA World Games will be held in Birmingham, UK, this year in August. I think it's uh, yeah, eight, eight, August 18th through the 27th. Mm. Um, and uh, this is an amazing event for for all uh, tennis players who play competitively to to be able to to participate. As you know, the the World Games, the IPSA World Games, occur uh, are, are organized every four years. So think of it as the World Cup of sports for blind sports. So the tournament side starts. Uh, you think of it as as uh, at, at national level or local level. You have a local. You know, each country is depend on maturity level and the governance and how close they work with their tennis federations. They, you know, they have local tournaments. The program is tied to that local tournament and they can move if they're working with the tennis federation. 
working with the, you know, a different national tournament uh, or state tournament, for example. In Australia, they have state tournaments as well. And um, basically, it culminates into a national championship. After that, uh, most of those players that are highly or top players, they, they make it to the international tournament. Uh, usually occurs once a year. Uh, this year, because of post-COVID, uh, uh, we we chose to, to be a, a part of the IPSA World Games. Since they only occur every four years, it's a great opportunity to have players from all over the world and athletes from all over the world to, to meet there in August this year. Wow. Very cool. That's definitely, you know, being part of that event, uh, like you said, is a great way to showcase the sport. And I'm sure. Well, showcasing the sport, I think it's critical because think of, of what other sports are doing to grow the game, right? To, the, to grow their sport. And I believe that um, most uh, programs, that in order for them to be successful, they need support from their national governing body of tennis. They can do well. Don't get me wrong. A lot of them started that way. But the important thing is that the, the governing body is involved to, to because the, the mission is pretty much the same, right? It's just we're focused, on, in our case, some blind tennis associations are focused on only the blind visually impaired tennis. But, uh, you know, uh, the, the mission of growing, promoting the, the, the sport of tennis is pretty much the mission of every, every tennis federation worldwide right sure um so in the u.s for example um just last month in february the united states Tennis association organized their first uh, blind and visually impaired education conference and friendly tournament as well so hmm. um you know it, it's been an amazing uh, conference uh, um, where also the usbta was uh, organizing their first friendly tournament they had uh players coming, uh, about eight top players coming from all over the world, uh, pretty much uh, to, you know, think of it as an exhibition as well, because they had players in the U.S. that never been exposed to competition before. And uh, it was just an amazing experience for, for the players, um, but also a great opportunity to change amongst uh, you know, the organizations involved, IBTA, USBTA, and USTA, and even others. Uh, uh, so I, I foresee this organization, uh, I mean, this conference to grow and to be uh, really a destination for adaptive tennis, uh, especially on the education front uh, as well, in addition to the tournament side. Sure. And just once again, kind of raising awareness about you know how the sport is played, obviously, and like you said, the education aspect of, of educating others on i'm sure coaching the sport and just in general you know that that grassroots effort absolutely the um the uh, coaching uh is, is so critical right because because without coaches then you can't train uh, the, the the players or coach the players and and coaches are a very um, important part of the whole equation and uh um, other organizations like the Professional Tennis Registry, which is the you know certification body for for it's international certification body for coaches, and the USTA as well. Uh, we definitely uh, seeking to collaborate in, in this space because I think uh, adaptive tennis in general is is growing and targeting each population is in need for for you know to to help them participate in tennis. 
but in particular, blind and low vision tennis or blind or visually impaired tennis um, has a need for coaches who, who understand uh, the sport and who uh, are willing to learn. Uh, and it's not very difficult, obviously. It's just, it's, it's, it's not, you know, think of it as something that is new that you want to expand as a coach and, and learn. And it's so rewarding to see the progress of, of your of your students, of your players, of your athletes, when they become, uh, uh, you know, uh, so uh, good to uh, to play internationally. Right. Absolutely. Um, I am curious about. Uh, I know you mentioned the USTA, uh, the United States Tennis Association, other governing bodies, or even like professional tennis players. Can you talk a little more about kind of the support? of of those organizations or if any tennis players have kind of jumped on board or showed any kind of interest in blind tennis yes yeah, so it varies from each country to country as you know so um uh, some countries as, as i mentioned before have the have already uh, uh they're they're kind of a part of the pathway for uh, for that that's set by and developed by the by the national governing body for tennis, right? Sure. So, um, and 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 others, other countries, they they have uh, maybe a smaller program, but very popular program, right? Where you know there's a, they're addressing uh, a need, and you have people who uh, who uh, are willing to lead that effort, and 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 they love the sport, they love the ten- tennis, they love to give back, and they they basically start from scratch, and they and do anything they can to grow the game. So um, the support uh, is uh, so critical, in my opinion, for the growth of the support of these uh, national tennis federations and also eventually uh, the International Tennis Federation because I think uh, without without that, in fact, our goal is to be aligned with the uh, internationally with the International Tennis Federation because they're doing already that that work for for other sports and other adaptive tennis, right? Mm-hmm. So we're working. It's kind of an interesting kind of uh, structure, but um, because there's a need, uh, specific need in each country, it's very hard to 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 do everything at once. And it's okay. It's understandable. You know, wheelchair took a while, many years to grow internationally. Uh, and other sports, I think it's going to be the same. It, it will take some time, but I think it will grow. Uh, but but I truly believe that without the support of the tennis federations, the blind tennis associations, if you will, will take them a lot longer to get to where they want. And I think uh, in the case of the U.S. Tennis Association, uh, I'm part of the Adaptive Tennis Committee uh, of the USTA. Our goal is to grow adaptive tennis in general, and we... Uh, we, as an organization, uh, you know, provide support to to uh, to all adaptive tennis, right? So the concept is not new, uh, really, um, but uh, we noticed uh, as as the international blind tennis Association have been around for for the last ten years or so, we noticed the countries that got partnerships early uh, with their governing body. For example, got a chance to be part of the pathway, you know, basically moving from social to local tournament to comp- to high performance, which is the competition is critical for that growth. The uh, when we saw um, uh, genuine interest uh, in uh, actually uh, reaching out the to the blind low vision population 
and and pro- providing an opportunity for them to to participate in tennis. We noticed a change in their basically in their health, in their mental health, in their physical health. They become actually independent. They would come uh, take public transportation, uh, you know, because a lot of as as you know, blind and low vision people need support workers or carers to help. Um, uh, we noticed uh, a lot of people really really focus on independence. We very very uh, important. I think that that, that area. To, to make sure that, and they don't want, they want to be there. They want to go there. They want to uh, participate. Um, and also I think they have an opportunity to uh, socialize with other who have the same interests. Uh, and, and I think that's what sport is about as well, is to make friends, to build relationships. Uh, and, and at the same time, practice a sport that makes you healthy physically and mental. So, um, that let's call it this way, the acceleration for that. We notice all the countries that have that relationship with the national tennis governing body was a lot faster than any other countries that don't. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And yeah, just in general, very well said about uh, the benefits of adaptive sports. And, you know, I've had a lot of guests on that have echoed the same thing about the independence that, uh, you know, participating in adaptive sports can bring to someone and, Obviously, the camaraderie, just building those friendships, those relationships, uh, so many benefits to, to being involved. Absolutely. And, you know, the, let's, for example, just in the U.S., let's take the U.S., uh, some facts about the U.S. You know, we, we have uh, about 61 million adults with disabilities, uh, but 12 million Americans, uh, I think 40 over, based on, the, I think, the latest CDC uh, statistics um, uh, have vision disab- disabilities. They're you know so twelve million Americans, uh, forty and over, and and eighty one percent of people with blindness or moderate or severe visual disability are over fifty years old. Now um, you look at that number of of people, and as a country in the U.S. and 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 you say, what can I do as an organization to help get them involved in our sport? And it could be any sport, in fact. It doesn't have to be just tennis. Sure. Right? So to me, is what do I do? What am I doing as an organization to, um, to make my sport accessible to all? And, and I think that's, where the, what, that's why the ABTS mission is so important for us, is we want to provide that opportunity to everybody worldwide and, and work with partners and partner with organizations who are will have that same goal and same mission. And, um, and uh, it's, uh, it's been really rewarding to see, again, uh, many, many players, athletes, their families, um, children who discover tennis, um, you know, and, and, and were very, uh, and the parents were even doubting. They were doubting whether they could play sports at some point. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, they bloom. They, they literally bloom. Um, right. So we've seen it over and over. Um, so I think uh, again, sports in general is still, in my opinion, not very accessible to all. And I think that uh, uh, I think a lot of organizations need to do more. And having worked with uh, governing bodies of tennis before, I know a lot can be done. And um, one of the leading organizations is Tennis Australia. 
they identified the need of the population. They've been they having a program for 25 years, in fact, for hmm. uh, deaf and hard of hearings and for other other segments of the population that, that have disabilities. But they really felt that they needed to do more, uh, in fact, uh, in the blind and tennis, uh, in the blind tennis uh, uh, event side, if you will. Um, and the first adult exhibition was organized by a Grand Slam was at the Australian Open this year in 2023 oh, wow. in Melbourne. So I think our other organizations will follow suit. Uh, I, I know the USTA is going to be one of the leaders in this space because they're, it's one of their priorities as well. Um, and, and the priorities of, of, of the USTA president, uh, Dr. Brian Hainline. Um, uh, so I think a lot of people are, are going to make some great changes uh, and influence uh, the growth of, of adaptive tennis in general, not just blind and low vision tennis or blind vision impaired tennis. Uh, absolutely. Definitely exciting uh, things to come, I think. And uh, kind of on that note, if someone listening to this is interested in getting involved in blind tennis or at least learning more about it, uh, whether it is an individual or even an adaptive sports organization that might want to try to offer, you know, some type of blind tennis uh, event, whatnot, uh, what kind of advice would you give for that individual? I would say for the U.S. opportunities um, or opportunities in the U.S., um, the best thing is to go to um, USTA.com and then just, just typing adaptive tennis, search adaptive tennis, uh, and you'll find a list of programs on, on the USTA.com site. The other thing is the USBTA has a page, which is the US Blind Tennis Association, also on, on the USTA.com site. It's playtennis.usta.com slash USBTA. So again, playtennis.usta.com slash USBTA. That's the USTA Blind Tennis Association. And uh, I think uh, I think you'll find a lot of information there. You find a lot of contacts, uh, information. This is to be involved in the U.S. Internationally, you go to ibtatennis.org, ibta for short tennis. So ibtatennis.org, uh, and there's a lot of information there that's available. The other thing that if you need help, people can can email info at internationalblindtennis.org. So info. Uh, at internationalblindtennis.org and we can provide as much information as we can uh, to them. But I think uh, uh, the best way to reach out uh, probably would be through the USTA.com site and the USBTA site, which is basically US or US uh, players and US people who are interested in the sport. Right. Excellent. And I'll definitely include links uh, to all that information in the show notes uh, for everyone as well. Thank you for doing that. Appreciate, uh, Greg, what you're doing because I think your show is very important for uh, the blind and low vision community uh, who wants to get involved in sports in general. This is important, and I I hope uh, we'll see more people involved uh, in, in tennis. There's support coming their way as well to be involved. Uh, like I said, our USPTA President Dana Costa here in the U.S. Uh, has founded uh, the organization for that purpose. And uh, the USTA is also providing support uh, across the country. Sure, sure. And I know uh, also you and I had chatted about potentially getting some, you know, blind tennis players on the podcast. Uh, so definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, would love to, to chat with some individuals, you know, very experienced as well. 
Absolutely. I think there are many that would love to share their stories with you and with their with your audience as well. I think it would be great to hear it directly from them. Definitely. Okay, so again, we've been visiting with Samir Mahir, who is president of the IBTA, uh, again, stands for the International Blind Tennis Association. And Samir, thank you so much for your time and uh, certainly everything you're doing on your front and the IBTA in general. And really excited to follow kind of the journey and, you know, increased uh, growth and opportunities of blind tennis. Well, thank you, Greg. Appreciate the opportunity and uh, keep up the great work. Again, we, we love what you're doing. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.com.